Hello, welcome to the Stockout. This is your show at Freight Waves about all things related to the consumer packaged goods industry, the CPG industry, and now the retail industry. I am one of your hosts, Mike Bowdendistel, um, here with Grace uh, Sharkey. Uh, good to good to see you, Grace. Um, I'm going to uh, go into uh, let's see some. Can you hear me, Grace? <laughs> Might be having some technical difficulties. Grace, are you there? Can there you hear me? <laughs> yeah. Okay, you can hear me now. Okay. Yes, there we go. I can hear you now. There. <laughs> Happy okay, Monday. that's good. I'm not sure. Not sure what happened there, but that's kind of the nature of doing everything from home and not being in the office right next to Isaiah and, and the group. Um, but anyway, uh, if everyone knows how to sign up for the Zygout newsletter, which they should know how to do by now, there's no excuse for not for not knowing by now. Uh, going to our first topic uh, today, which is uh, General Mills results last week. We talked about this on uh, the Stockout newsletter uh, last week. Stock's been under some pressure this year after having a strong year last year. I thought it was kind of a boring quarter in that um, you know there wasn't a lot of variance from the published um, you know expectations. Uh, they, they reiterated guidance, um, but they did say maybe a few trends that I thought were interesting uh, that I think are related for the overall CPG industry. They did say that the pricing strategies that CPG companies are using are getting to be more sophisticated. They're getting to be, be highly collaborative, highly analytical, really um, you know, looking at on an SKU level, kind of um, you know what's happening with volume in response to changes in pricing. So these companies really know how how much pricing they can get away with. So they said that's been a change from the previous year. So they mentioned that they did say elasticities were rising. They saw volumes fall two percent on a seven percent increase in price, and there was a mix in there. There you see the the stock under pressure, um, you know, this year, that stock chart goes back to 2018. It went up nicely last year when there was a flight to higher quality um, stocks. And then this uh, latest year, there's been some concern about CPG companies uh, doing too many promotions. Also, um, some concern that people are just going to, you know, cut back on sort of some items and maybe go to, to private label. So some of the national CPG companies under a little bit of pressure from that. Uh, and they also said that, you know, company, companies are consumers are starting to pull back a little bit on pet food, uh, which is, is something I think was a little bit new. Uh, we've heard that's been resilient up until lately. And then service levels, they said, are back in the high 90s. So a lot of these supply chain issues that they have been dealing with, that they said were pretty unprecedented during the pandemic. A lot of those have really subsided. They did say that their costs are still rising about 5%. So there's disinflation there, but not necessarily deflation. So I think overall probably translates to higher on-shelf prices, but rising at a slower rate. And then gross margins um, improving some, increased 50 basis points year over year. The operating margin did decline 60 basis points because of higher SGNA. So the companies are getting some of that margin back that they lost during the pandemic, but not necessarily all at once, um, sort of getting it back uh, gradually. I think I think we're going to see that from a lot of the CPG uh, companies. Do you have any thoughts on what we heard last week yeah. from General Mills or any of those trends? It's interesting, like you, you brought up the pandemic-related areas, right? We saw such a huge rise in uh, spending when it came to pet foods, and I think just pets in general, right? Everyone stuck in their homes, uh, in, investing in maybe some uh, appal to, to stick with them through it. Uh, but then we saw, I think one of the most interesting trends in terms of the average consumers in August, right? We saw this huge influx of, of individuals starting to pay back their loans. And for me, that was a real trigger that I personally think 
we're going to see the consumer starting to, to, to really watch those dollars and how they're coming in and what they're going towards. And if that means uh, spending a little less and, and being more frugal with even how you're you know feeding your pet and not overindulging and uh, even going back from the luxury goods back down to uh, maybe just your, in this case, normal uh, cereal snacks etc. Uh, I think this is showcasing that the the average consumer rate is trying to find areas in their life that they can pull back a little bit, uh, understanding that these costs aren't going to go down anytime soon, right? They're not going to see um, somehow General Mills uh, get back to its pre-pandemic levels. So uh, being more considerate of where they're spending so that they can continue to spend and other areas, areas too. If we get to, I think the Halloween aspect we'll talk about uh, soon showcases a little bit of that, right? If if we're gonna have to pull back in some areas and still enjoy Christmas, enjoy the holiday seasons, enjoy Halloween, we're probably gonna just uh, be a little bit more uh, conscious of how we're spending every single dollar when we head to the grocery store as well. Yeah, speaking of costs that are not going down, topic number two, uh, commodity <laughs> prices surging for Cocoa, sugar, and olive oil, three things in particular. So that's the price of olive oil. That's up 130% to a new record, up to $8,900 per ton in September. The previous record was $6,200 a ton in 1996. Say consumption wow. is flat to down in every country, you know, on the higher prices except Turkey, where the government has stepped in to limit exports to keep their own domestic prices down. You see that sometimes when uh, commodities go crazy. Um, and then there was this bizarre story in CNBC that reported 50,000 liters of extra virgin olive oil was stolen worth about $450,000 in Spain in late August. Weird thing to sell would be a hard thing to, to, to liquidate. So olive oil prices <laughs> surging, sugar prices at a 12 year high have a, cha a, start, a chart to that effect where those have, have, have risen um, to, to a large extent there too. And, and it's not just sugar. I mean, we've talked about that in the, in, the, in the past. That's sort of been rising steadily the past three years. Uh, you know, cocoa price is now at a 46-year high. You know, both of those things driven by a lot of these, these weather conditions. The cocoa, 75% of it's grown in West Africa, harvests in Ivory Coast and Ghana, um, being impacted by torrential rains, flooding, and this black pod fungal disease impacting cocoa specifically. So, Everything's going wrong. That can go wrong. Um, you know, their cocoa prices um, highest they've been in 46 years, but the demand really hasn't um, you know come down much. I mean, here from like Mondelez, these are still sort of hanging in there, um, which goes to topic number three, which you brought to my attention earlier in the day. Is Halloween spending is expected to increase, and the stat there from the National Retail Federation expected to be up 15 percent. From this year, from last, twelve point two billion from ten point six billion. So clearly, part of that is higher prices for sugar and cocoa. It's going to translate to higher candy prices, um, of course. But then it also says seventy three percent celebrating Halloween up from sixty nine percent. Any other reasons, you know, for this? It, it's not because people are having more children. I don't. Th I think they're having fewer children. Uh, <laughs> there, there must be some yeah. other reason for this. 
Yeah, you know, it, I think that is interesting. I, I was almost surprised. I remember covering this topic even last year and surprised even to see a 21 to 22 increase as we we're just starting to get into uh, seeing a lot of this inflation hit the shelves. I mean, uh, I would assume a part of that total spending, right, is probably a percentage inflation, but still it's high enough that it is the consumer, I think, considering you know, that they want to spend this holiday, I guess, actually celebrating it. Um, I, I agree with you. I don't think it's just more kids. It seems like adults in particular, right, are, are going to be spending a good amount on even their costumes, uh, et cetera. We saw a rise in that over the past year from, let's see, adult costumes went from $1.7 billion to $2 billion in spending projected for this year. Uh, so uh, the adults, I think, are taking their their time to enjoy the holiday. You even have the pet side of things to look at too, uh, and an increase in what you're spending on them. Uh, I won't lie, I actually bought uh, some Halloween pet treats this weekend too. So I'm, I'm part of that, that stat, that's for sure. But I was, uh, you know, the consumer really shocks me. And I'm, uh, sometimes I want to consider us, almost compare us maybe to other countries at this point, uh, because we somehow keep finding the funds to celebrate these holidays where I'm sitting back and just considering, you know, how to, how much candy to buy that I'll make the neighborhood happy enough, you know, but it, it seems to me and from the, the research that the uh, NRF is doing that uh, we're, we're gearing up for a, another record leading year in, in the holiday, which I, again, I, I'm struggling to wrap my head around, but uh, if we're paying our loans off and we can celebrate Halloween, uh, power to you, consumer. Go for it. Yeah, the consumer's under pressure, but still finding a way to, to spend money. Yeah. Some, at some point, something has to give, it seems. Yeah. Um, yeah. With that, um, I think we should intro our guest. Uh, so today's guest is Bill Reinhardt. He's the CEO of Bold Carts. Um, and so do we have Bill... I'm going to ask Bill to explain his, um, you know, company rather than um, rather than myself. Do we have Bill? Sure. First of all, there thanks for having me on the show. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Here. Thanks for. So, Bold Carts is in. Yeah. So, Bold Carts is in the um, hardware space of the cannabis market, and let me explain what mm -hmm. that means. We sell the actual hardware that um, cannabis oil goes into for vaping for instance we sell the packaging so if you were to make an analogy the best way to look at us is um we're someone that sells empty coke bottles to coke bottling plants or empty beer bottles to beer bottling plants in addition to that we sell all the packaging that goes around it whether it's six packs or the 12 packs or the merchandising materials so that's the business that we're in so we're really you know the picks and shovels if you will of, of what is the cannabis gold industry uh, I I was gonna say I have an interesting question. Uh, clearly, I'm here in, in Michigan. I've I've watched products really evolve over the past couple of years, in particular. I'm interested in, in vaping related products in particular, though, because they've seen a lot of design changes. A lot of, of course, people concerned with safety issues of them as well. Uh, from your experience, how how quickly is vaping? Uh, growing, and how does that you know compare, especially when providing Know, different SKUs and products for all these labels. Uh, how do you go about creating the packaging and staying up with maybe the times and what consumers are hoping is a safer product over time too? Well, it's a great question, first of all. And, um, you know, the first thing we should probably do is, you know, distinguish between, you know, cannabis vaping versus nicotine vaping. We are not in the nicotine vaping space. We are strictly in the cannabis. But all the things that you mentioned are correct. 
you're seeing a massive shift for what from what we call a 510 cartridge thread, threaded cartridge with a battery on it. And then when you're done, you unscrew the cartridge and, and toss it and buy a new one and put it on the same battery. We're moving rapidly from that solution to what we call an all-in-one solution, which is, uh, you know, something that, that it is all-in-one. Uh, it's 100% disposable. Um, there's no putting a battery on, taking a battery off. Um, they're typically more... Um, space on them to advertise your brand and so we do definitely see a shift but what that's causing exactly is exactly what you're talking about michigan's a really good example where you're seeing you know market fragmentation um and even within a brand there's 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 many many sub brands and so you know for us it's good for us because it's just more you know more product that the customers need to order from us people like us um but it definitely i would think is is confusing for the consumer yeah i mean i think it would be um i think the whole category at least to me it's confusing uh to the consumer um he talks a little bit about your your supply chain we focus a lot on supply chain here at, at freight waves um saw on your website you manufacture in in china you know, would you, would you source how many how many you know, components are you sourcing in order to build those in China? And did you have issues with getting those products um, to the areas of consumption in the United States during the the pandemic with the the, the shipping disruptions and, and and all of those things? Were any supply chain disruptions and and have those been alleviated at this point? Sure. So um, we made a conscious decision when COVID started that we would not do sea shipping. Um, so everything that we do is air. So we've been much less affected by it than people that have continued to do sea shipping. It's obviously, well, maybe not obviously, but it's it's more expensive to do shipping by air. Um, but we just look at that as a cost of doing business and, and, and our ability to uh, reduce our overhead um, is key to that. As far as sourcing in China, um, there's anywhere, depending on the device, um, you know, 11 to 15 different components that goes into a cartridge or an all-in-one, and those are sourced um, throughout the world. Um, and we have not seen any problems with uh, with our supply chain um, since before or after COVID, if you consider we're after COVID, which we don't know. Yeah. Uh, uh, going back to even the changes you just brought up as well in regards to the product and in particular, you know, uh, it sounds like combining the vape into the the actual product, being able to even put on uh, customers a labeling, white, uh, white labeling, et cetera. How does that go into the overall margin in order to, uh, I, I think products over time have come a, a I'd say uh, definitely um, as a consumer, more impactful, right? The design and structure seem a little bit more uh, up to date, but I would consider in that effect too, right? That prices is probably going up with that packaging as well. How do you work with uh, the companies, your customers to make sure that the margin and the pricing continues to stay viable for the end consumer at the end of the day? Yeah, really good question. And I guess as a backdrop, on top of that, you add the fact that every state has its entire own rules, its own pricing, its own yeah. regulations. 
And so you throw that as a backdrop. What's really driving, or one of the things that's driving the shift in devices from what I call cartridges to all-in-ones is a difference in the actual product itself, going from what we call distillate in the business, um, which was the first generation oil that goes into the cards. And then as you move forward, there's what's called rosin, live resin, um, and different products. And they have a different characteristic on how they're consumed and how they're heated and what temperature they need to be at in order to vaporize. And that is really one of the big drivers on the customization uh, aspect of the industry. Yeah, I mean, you... Um, you also see a, you, a much you different... The, the, a, you see a different price point, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, one thing I thought I thought was interesting, I and mean, sort of related to that, is you say on your website that you're able to keep, you know, your, your manufacturing um, you know, is, is at a, a way that you can keep the, the cost down for the for your customers. And you also mentioned that your products are highly uh, customized for the specific customer. So it's almost like you're doing, you know, they're coming to you, they're, they're getting a product that looks very much like, you know, they, they designed it from sort of the ground up. Um, you know, how do you balance having a product that's very customizable for the, for the consumer while also keeping um, your manufacturing costs low enough that it supports your customers' uh, margins? Yeah, good question. So there's two aspects to that. Number one, the customization. There's two two types of customization. That is putting the branding, the you know, the customer facing branding on the device, and that's a very easy, inexpensive thing for us to do, uh, both in China and the U.S. Um, the customization we're referring to on our website is really about how that specific device works for that customer's oil. And so we will make changes internally. The consumers can't tell the difference between something that um, will make a great experience for distillate versus something that will make a great experience for live resin. That has to do with air intake holes, things like that that are not uh, customer-facing, if you will. But they're super important. And the way we keep our costs down is, uh, you know, age-old answer, volume. Um, it's very difficult to, to provide, you know, one-offs for everyone. And so um, we have enough volume where we, you know, the oils are similar enough across the board that um, we can dial it in for, for all of our customers. Uh, I'm interested, you've, you've touched on this lightly as well, different states, different rules, regulations, which in my head would make even like warehousing products, et cetera, be uh, awfully tough to maneuver through. Can you tell us what the uh, what your fulfillment process looks like? I mean, some of the challenges that you've had uh, growing the company and able to provide all these markets, but also make sure that regulations are being met as well. Yeah. So when you look at the regulation side, I'm really referring to the to the cannabis companies themselves. We don't yeah. operate under any regulations. We're not licensed, et cetera. But it is a good point. Um, you know, we, we warehouse everything out of Arizona currently. Um, so it comes from China to Arizona, and then we distribute from here. We haven't had any real problems at all to speak of within the U.S. You know, the only challenges were from China, you know, during COVID, which I explained before. We just said, let's put everything on an airplane and try to minimize that as much as we can. But, you know, the different – when I mentioned the difference in the different states and the regulations, it's, it's to the point where – I'll just use some examples where Missouri, let's say that they sell uh, one gram cartridge for $75. Um, that same cartridge might be $12 in Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, and so it's really hard 
for these companies to get navigate, you know, which states do I want to operate? Which states am I allowed to operate in? And how do I figure out how to make money if I'm selling cartridges for $12 versus $75? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, a lot of complexity there for sure. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask you, I mean, I looked at your, your LinkedIn profile and you had an interesting post about how Monster Energy, I guess, um, didn't like the fact that your logo looked a little bit too similar to, to, to theirs. Personally, I don't know how you could com- confuse those two companies, um, but but what's the, the status of, of that? Um, we decided to cut bait and redesign our logo hmm. and uh, let the big guys bully us a little bit. Our first response to them was they, you know, they basically want to take ownership of three uh, lines that are vertical. So we told them you should start with Spotify because their logo is a lot closer to theirs than ours is. They didn't think that was humorous. And so we decided to get more serious about the conversation and get on with it. Interesting. Well, uh, I'd say uh, going into uh, back into the industry, and that's so funny. It's true, definitely. It's more like Spotify. Um, going back into the industry, what uh, what changes are you maybe anticipating? Right again, I think the vaping aspect, the hardware aspect that you're you're growing into, and and really um, seeing, I'm sure, more market share of is. It seems to be changing, I mean, almost weekly, monthly, right? Just different products. And, and I think consumers wanting to see an experiment in different ways of of uh, getting to this this product, right? Uh, are you working on any new designs today? And how do you stay on top of all that? I mean, like I said, it just seems to be so many different changes in the hardware aspect alone. Uh, how do you work to make sure that you have the next new way of, of uh, I guess, inhaling this product in particular on the top of line. Yeah. yeah so, so first of all, we, we have an engineering staff and what they do is they figure out ways to not only make the experience better, better for the consumer, but also how would that impact our cost of production? And so yeah. we recently filed some patents around how to create basically the, the easiest way to understand it is less moving parts means less labor means lower cost to produce. So we're constantly looking at things like that. You know, we spend a great deal of time on intellectual property. So everything that is our invention, we make sure that we try to protect. Um, and then as far as the overall industry, let's forget about hardware for a second. I mean, the the banking act um, that is set to be voted on in, in the Senate, I believe this week, is one that could have a massive impact on the industry as a whole, because if it does pass, then the you know traditional cannabis companies can have access to the kind of banking services that companies like ours, companies like yours, could have always had access to. Yeah, great point. You had a, a really good um, graphic on your on your website related to Chinese New Year, which I thought was interesting. I actually think I'm going to share this internally, just as kind of an education point where. You know, you your customers have to get in their orders by specified dates. You know, per product by <laughs> in November or certain date of December in order to have that manufactured before everyone goes home for Chinese New Year. I'm just curious. Do you get a crush of orders like right as those deadlines approach? And is there ever a situation where we you have do. to sort of pick and choose, or, or how do you manage that process? Yeah, we absolutely do get a huge crush. So the way that the way you should look at it is we have basically a six week hole blown in the middle of our supply chain that nothing can go in, nothing can go out every single year. And so like anything, we have people 
the plan very well and, and, and get a lot of supply to get through that. We do ourselves because we've got a visibility from the, from the, uh, you know, macro level of how many cartridges do we think our customers are going to need. Then you go down a level and say, well, how many are customized? Um, and then, um, on the flip side, uh, we see a massive increase in orders right after Chinese new year from the people that maybe didn't plan so well. So we see both ends of it, but it is very unique, um, not to, to us, but to anybody that has a supply chain coming out of China, because when we say it's shut down, it's shut down. I mean, it's not just us, it's Apple. It's everyone is shut down during Chinese New Year's. Yeah, which I, I'm sure now going into this uh, fourth quarter is getting busy for you to prepare for that, too. Uh, so I appreciate, of course, uh, a bill your time and your insight on this uh, industry. You're right. Uh, I think the banking uh, sector question, right, is going to be answered this week too, which could be huge. So uh, hopefully we could have you on the show later on and, uh, and and see how it's changed over time too. But I thank you for your time and thank you for uh, showcasing to all of us, right, how even the hardware side of this uh, this industry can be difficult. Sure. Well, yeah, thank, thank you, you for, me for having too. me. Yeah, it was yeah. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Well, that's all from us. I hope everyone has a great day.